Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is the Real Lives Untold podcast with myself, Trina O'Connor. And myself, Sarah O'Connor. We are focusing on all things crime and human interest. We're creating a space for people to tell their stories, the raw, unedited version. This week, we're joined by Carl Duquet, who works as a team leader and outreach worker with Targeted Youth Response, or TRI, which was set up in the south inner city area of Dublin in 2017. He tells us about his life, his own challenges with addiction and run-ins with the law, and how this has served him well in the work he does now with young people facing similar difficulties. We're joined today by Carl Duque from the Tri Project and Youth Worker. It's a few years now since I met you, Carl. We spoke to you on the Anti-Social Ireland documentary that went out on Virgin Media, still on the on the player there. And you spoke to us about your work in Tri and it was it was it was a young enough project at that stage, wasn't it? That's correct. Yeah. And has it had any impact on on the work you were trying to do in terms of the publicity? Um, yeah, I got a text today saying off a young person saying I've seen you on the telly during a day, you know. So I get a lot of recognition mm-hmm. um, by young people when they, they see me on the telly. It was, must have been on the other night, so they text me and say, I've "Oh, were they looking the for your autograph card?" Yeah, oh, just believe it or not, <laughs> I was in the airport. I was going to Spain one day, and a guy tipped me on the back of the shoulder, and he's like. Were you on the telly? I said, I don't know. Probably. So you spoke brilliant. There was you. Was you? So people recognise it, but it did. That's great. But they also say that what you said about the young people is really important. You know, so they're fighting in the corner. So it helped your work. Yeah. So the more of it you do. Yeah. 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 So I suppose. Carl, what's interesting to us and why we invited you along, because this podcast is about real life stories and about untold stories. And someone with your experience, like, would you mind kind of talking to us and speaking to us a little bit about who you are and and how you came to doing this very valuable work that you're doing and maybe bringing us through how you got to where you are today? Yeah, um, I suppose we can go back to like I I I was born in the inner city Um, I grew up in a flat complex so I was the first of six kids in the house we were in a, like a, a two-bedroom little flat in Henrietta Street busy um was the Ola. it was a thing back then there's <laughs> big families and stuff so um yeah I I, I think like I was a, a working class family you know my mother was a, a street trader and my father had a garage and you know they were always out busy and um, they always kind of wanted the best so he tried to put me in the best schools even around the area even though all my other friends would have been going to like Brundick Street me and my father put me into a Connell school because um, they, they wanted a good education for me um, and did you get a good education there? Um, I didn't last too long so I trained it because I, I was grand in like the primary 
the primary school, you know, the sixth class I, I enjoyed. I didn't get into much trouble. I would have, like, probably got suspended once or twice here and there. Um, but when I hit secondary school, for some reason, I kind of start acting out probably a little bit more, getting into more serious trouble. And um, do you know what? Yeah. You never a sense of belonging. I never had that sense of belonging in school. You know, I always rebelled against the, the, the old school industry of like lining up, saying your prayers this time for lunch. And I, I wasn't I wasn't one to kind of conform to that. You no. didn't like authority then, Cam? No. I no. struggled with it and the yeah. older I got, I struggled with it even more. Um till eventually I was first year, was halfway through first year, and the teachers couldn't handle me. And they called me mother in, and I was put out of school. Um, you know, and that's that's probably I would have been probably twelve when when it all started to kind of go wrong. Then and did me. you go to another school then? I went to a school. I was put into a school called um, Hackett's. It was the school on stilts. It was Summer Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, it was for I suppose young people who couldn't stay in school and were bad behaviors and stuff like that. But when I was kind of put in there, I was introduced to like a next level of of behaviours and and like knowledge around drugs. You know, the the guys would have been smoking joints in, in the schoolyard and like you know, I was would be really inquisitive about drugs growing up in the inner city. I knew they were there, and then like you'd be introduced to kind of like. It's like stages of drugs. Most people have talked to even in recovery, you go through stages of like even the tip X tenors, you know, mm-hmm. you would have been solvents and, and then progressing to, to, to cannabis use and then you're always looking for that extra little bit and you'd be looking like it'd move on to ecstasy and And, and that was big at the time. Like yeah. that was a big scene in Dublin anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. we had we had a, a lot of people using ecstasy. You don't really hear about it that much now, I suppose. No, I listen. Oh, yeah, the the ecstasy thing was that 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 introduces you into the next level. Okay, you know, or there was actually I grew up in town and but I moved to Cabra when I was about fourteen, um, and a friend of mine moved up at the at the time as well, and we we kind of felt out because we were in Cabra, what mm. townies were mm. going up here, and then it's like, how do we fit in up here? You know, and everyone is kind of doing drugs and everyone is selling drugs. And it's like, right, we're going to start selling drugs, you know. And then it's like the trouble even that that gets you into is progressing even more. Um, because I was thinking about it today and I was thinking that I'd share this on the podcast, you know, of like wanting to be that, acting the gangster basically, you know, mm. and wanting to, to make a name for yourself. And from day one, you're in debt selling drugs because you're getting you're getting we would have been getting like nine bars and A's and, and giving them out and when you don't get paid, you know, you're getting them on sleigh. So then who you're getting them off has a hold of you. You know, we're giving you more to kinda get out and get the money. Um and the the the, the shit basically hits the fan. You know, like you're caught in that cycle of like you old you're on Peter to pay Paul. You know, you owe this person money. How am I going to get the money? I've no job, I've no education. I'm using drugs. And then it's like, you, you constantly have to do it. You know, it's like. So, how did your behaviours change then? How did it impact you? 
Um, my drug use went up, sir, you know, and it progressed to to pass the ecstasy of like onto the opiates, um, onto like to where I was only sixteen. Like I was sixteen, and I, and I was a, uh, I, I was using heroin, you oh, know, yeah. um, and I was buying methadone off people, and I believe that was fear, like fear, like and and that took that away, you know, that would have took all that away, and I remember like when I was sixteen, my mother didn't know what to do, like she was broken hearted, and my dad, like he was old school, he give you a slap, <laughs> yeah. snap out yeah, of it, yeah. you know, and it's like. Yeah. I couldn't, and she brought me to the doctor, and 16 years of age, the doctor put me on a methadone program, wow. you know, and I, I look back, and, and look, my life is my life, I can't change it, but, like, I, I really resented that doctor for doing that, you know, because I work with young people, and there's not a hope in hell I'm going to bring a 16-year-old young fella and put him on a methadone clinic without exhausting every other avenue yeah. possible to that young person, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but at the time, that was kind of the only solution, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, I remember the heroin epidemic, and we're a similar vintage, so I remember that that was the solution, just get them on a methadone program, and, program, and all that did was just deaden the addict, wasn't it? It yeah. just made them manageable for society, but it didn't support the addict in any way, did it? No. 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 So, so how did that affect yeah. you then? How was, what, were your, what was your personality like then? Um, I, I was real outgoing, I was real bubbly, I was social... I was always out. I'd, I'd be in town. My father took me into the garage to walk, um, and I was just like, I was manageable up to a, a certain extent. Um, I, I I kept some sort of steadiness for a few years, um, but over time I would have progressed even further. And like what what addiction does here is it it cuts everything off slow. You know, it cuts it cuts your cuts your your friends off, it cuts your family off, it cuts cuts it burns all your bridges, basically, you know. Um and I, I went through years of that I suppose. Um, that must be very isolating. Yeah. Yeah. At the end it is. At the yeah. end of like where your addiction brings you, it's like your your little spirit is dead. Mm. You know? There's, there's something inside you that like You've no, you've no, your ambitions are gone, your, your mm. hope, your aspirations, you know, even like the aspirations, I suppose, your family would have happened for you. They all, they, they're gone, they all evaporate, you mm. know. Um, and you said earlier that you had, you were drug dealing in order to get the money. Were you still doing that when you were in the throes of addiction? And were you making money or? Yeah, and I think when you get to the, 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 that part of addiction, you're only drug dealing, I suppose, to feed your own mm-hmm. habit. You know, it wasn't I, about status or getting the fancy gear. Definitely not. Not at that. Not at the end of it. Yeah. They're like you're, you're surviving. You're yeah. out there surviving. You know. Yeah. Um, I was on a methadone program, and it's like it was free drugs. Yeah. You know, that's they give me methadone. There's probably like a couple of years ago there was ten thousand probably registered methadone. Yeah. Um, drug addicts in Dublin and I guarantee you if you asked them are they only taking methadone they're going to say no yeah. you know, every one of them will be polydrug using someone to take just methadone it doesn't happen you know. Mm-hmm. and when you're tied to that kind of thing you're tied to the clinics you're tied to a negative community that it, it's hard to kind of see a way out you know. Mm-hmm. and how, 
how bad did things get for you? Like, was there a rock bottom or what happened to bring you to a rock bottom? Can you take us through that journey? Yeah. Um, you know, like, even when you're out and you're, you're, you've no drugs and you end revert to, to probably shoplifting or out even robbing cars or, you know, you'd see something in a car you'd probably take and, like, um, you're getting caught, you know. I was shy, are I? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, you weren't a very the, good criminal. No, the no. thing was, I, I kept getting caught, you know? Yeah. And like, from, like how often? From 2000 to 2009, I was in prison every year for oh, a short wow. amount of time. You know, and, and most of them would be just causing me addiction because like seven of them times was Clover Hill yeah. and two times was Mount Joy. Mm. And that would be because I would rather go and get me methadone in a methadone clinic, then go to court and and, and I'd get yeah. a warrant. I'd be nicked on the case, probably selling drugs or something. Mm-hmm. Like, and you'd be gone, they'd, they'd take it off. And my poor father used to pay me bail all the time. Oh and I just got to the stage where, look, I haven't got a car. Yeah. You know, it'd probably do you the world of good to stay in here for a month and sober up a little bit. And, and you know, for them too, they probably felt safe in the knowledge that you were inside, that they knew nothing dreadful was going to happen to you. Yeah. Because I suppose, and you now understand this, doing the work that you do, for the family and the loved ones around the addict, very often that's one of their biggest fears, mm. you know, of that course. they don't know if the person is going to be found. So I've heard this a lot from loved ones of addicts when they went to prison or when they went to a centre. They yeah, actually got a bit of peace, yeah. as did you, yeah. I imagine. Safety, yeah. feeling secure. Yeah. Even though it was prison. Yeah. And what was it like then? Did it help you? Um, yeah, it helps you, but like... Was it a bit of a rest, a breakaway from society? It's a bit society? of a rest. It's a breakaway from society. As they say, you're getting three hots in the car, you're getting three yeah. hot meals, you're getting a car, you're, yeah. you're in rest. And, but like when you get out, it just picks back up where it's all. I, there was no, I suppose, willingness along that path to like has to be something better here. You know, I wasn't at that stage yet of yeah. life, you know. And what age were you then around? Um, when... So it was between 2000 and 2009, you said you were in prison. Older than me, yeah, my 20s, in like my late 20s. Yeah. Gone into... So, so what was the turning point for you then? Because the man we see today is not the man you've just described. Mm. So can you maybe bring us on that journey in your recovery? What what happened? What were the things you got involved in? Were there people around you? Was it good adults? Was it education? What was it, Carl, that you did? It was a mix of everything. Trina, okay. Because when you take drugs, I suppose, for whatever amount of 20 years, wherever I took them, that, like, the your mental health is gone. You know, your, your internal dialogue of how you speak to yourself even is shot, you know? And it's mm-hmm. like... That's what has to change. You know, there's a little snap to like start thinking that there has to be something better out here. Because yeah. I was never, I never knew like anything about you can stop taking drugs or you can like, you can live a life without taking drugs. I, I never, it wasn't visible to me. Wow. You know, it wasn't out there that people could actually do this. Because as I said, I was tied to the methadone clinics. You'd be staying in hostels, like, and nobody around there, like, yeah. promotes recovery. Yeah. You know, that, Ro- role models like you didn't in that yeah. in that environment, yeah. yeah. 
So, so how did it happen? Yeah, yeah. yeah how? How? Um, Amazing. I was on, I was on a methadone clinic, and a guy come in, and he he done a reduced the use course, and I still yes. still good friends with him. Um, Barry again, Michelle Alberfour, and he, it was just like it was just that internal belief, and someone believing in you that, wow, you know what I can do with this. There's a there's a mm. chance here I can, mm. probably not stop at that time, but cut down. Mm-hmm. I can start reducing here. I don't have to take that amount of drugs. I don't have to take 10 tablets a day and 80 miles of foil. Like I can cut that down, you know. And did you feel the change in your mental health then when you started cutting back? Yeah. Again, your little spirit lights up inside you and you start getting a little bit of belief to yeah. like, wow, you know, this might be possible here. What are they all talking about? I might be able to do something here. And and I went on to Soldier, HSE, you know, that um and I was they done eleven, twelve, thirteen months in there. And Do you want to tell people to about that what that, that is? Because some people may not know what that is. Yeah, Soldier it was a as a, a stabilization program in Henrietta Street. Yeah. And they prep you to go into treatment, they do all the, the the walk, which is a therapy walk, and then when you come out, you do another six months in Green Street. So I was nearly, I was probably over two years as a part of my life rehabilitating within Soldier. And the funny thing is, I grew up in Henrietta Street, and Soldier is like three hundred yards down the down the lane, and I never even knew I was there. Isn't that know? bizarre? Yeah. And amazing people in there, you know, mm. amazing like Jerry oh, was, yeah. was unbelievable. Phenomenal. Sonia, who became a mentor to me over the years and went to for advice all the time. She's been brilliant. She never put me on on the bad path. She always directed me on, on the right path. You know, she's a legend. And were legend. your family supportive at this stage? Were they around? Yeah, and I, I think like even the literature shows like if you have like a family support for somebody trying to come into recovery, the chances of somebody getting that is is huge. You know, um, my family never gave up on me. They were always there to support me. But my mind used to think, just stay away from them. You know, mm-hmm. you don't need to be giving them this hassle. That's what the internal dialogue thing that I'm talking about. They don't want you around them. But they were always there. You know, my brothers, my sisters, my mother, my father, they were always there, but they just didn't know what to do. You know, they didn't know where to go. You know, and just the hearts were broken, I suppose. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. That's a, that's a big difference between you and maybe others who, yeah. who are in the same situation and don't recover. Yeah. 
And I was aware saying that because everybody is is, is different. You know, mm. there is people out there probably living homeless on the streets with no family or yeah. but the, just to say that the supports are there for them. You know, the supports I was thinking about that today is like you, you get a headache with that as well because mm. they they make people fit this criteria to go into like centres and if you don't fit that criteria you're not gonna get into like a detox program, you're not not gonna get into like even a hostel, you know, if you don't fit a certain criteria to match their paperwork, you know, there's there's barriers up all yeah. over the place, you know. So it's like how do we get them barriers down for people to access the services as well, you know. And what would the criteria be? Like for if I can give my own experience with Solchi, you would have haven't been on like no bends or diazepines, um unless you were from a prescribed doctor, you had to be down to like 80 mils of methadone, you had to be free from street drugs. And if you're coming from living in hostels, to that is a massive, massive achievement to, to get to just like that stable, as they call it, you know? Yeah. Do you think what it is, Carl, is that for many people, they don't get and understand that when somebody takes drugs, for a lot of people, I'm not necessarily saying it's for you, but for a lot of people, Sarah, and I'm sure in your work you've seen this as well, it's because they're in tremendous pain. Mm. And that's a, a physiological pain. So it's not just the physical pain because of the physical addiction. It's also this emotional pain. And so if you're in a homeless hostel, you can imagine how oh that must feel. Yeah. You, and you don't know if there's a secure roof over your head and you've you've isolated yourself from your family or indeed your family may have turned their back on you and you've nobody really that you feel they care about. Yeah. And you're a drug addict. Well, then how are you going to get yourself down? I mean, the challenges there mm. are just insurmountable for some people. Yeah. So what you do can we understand why they want yeah. to escape? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's escape, isn't it? Yeah, of course. You know? And like, what do you think we could do as a country with that? Because every addict is has a different experience. Yeah. yeah. But yet, as you say, there's kind of a prescribed thing that they have to conform to before they go in. To some of the services, but the stuff you do and try is different, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Do, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Maybe in the model that you're working on there. Yeah, I suppose I work with young people. I suppose um, where I deal with me lived experience to engage with them on the streets and um, target response with youths, which is based in the Solace Project in Dublin. A, um, it's an outreach and bridging model. You know, I think it's very important that people need to get out on the streets and get with the young people, you know. Um, I think you need to stand with them, you need to be with them, you need to gain their trust. Um, we use a bridging model because when we identify, I suppose, the issue within that young person, we will look for a service that will help that young person every area is different you know we've come from the North Avenue of like um, St. Teresa's Gardens Flats where there would have been a lot of young people would have had addiction um, now I'm walking in Oliver Bond and it's not it's not the same you know mm. and the, the model is kind of adapting and changing that we could have bridged them out in the North but at the moment in Oliver Bond they're looking for more intensive one to one walk where the, where the walkers are doing the intensive one to walk one to one walk with them so how do you approach them or do they approach you how does it usually happen are you on a on, on a walk around yeah so the first i suppose night 
how we got into Oliver Bomb, we were doing a community outreach piece together, and me and Ashlyn, who was the manager in Solis Project, um, we went down, we went into the, the, the H block in Oliver Bond, it's called, it's where they all stand and <laughs> yeah. do that thing. And we went up to them and they're looking, and I was like, who the fuck are they? <laughs> 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 And we're just like, look, where are you? Are you, are you a guard? It's yeah. always the first question. All the time. Are you a guard? Do you get asked that? You yeah. 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 And my, do, yeah. my response is, do I sound like a guard? Yeah. Yeah. Do I look like a guard? And they, and they go, yeah. <laughs> Everybody's a guard. And anyway, we went up to them and we said, well, you workers, this is what we're doing. We're just doing a community outreach piece. And not one of them that, yeah, yeah. Right, fair enough, but there was obviously trade coming in and out. And we left and we went around the other end of Oliver Bond. And then we said, Do you know what? Come on, we try again. 10 minutes later, and we went back up again. And we're like, Look, there's, there's, you know what we can do? We can look at safe passes, manual hand, and stuff like that. And they were all over us. You know, it was like, Wow. Right. And that, that just shows that the relentless approach of like not giving up mm -hmm. on these young yeah. people mm -hmm. and going and coming back and now we're down on all of bond every day and what but ages are will they be at the moment we're dealing with 18 to 26 okay. at the moment so um and they're great young lads. yeah they're yeah. absolutely like they get such a bad name through press or whatever but they're so polite and, and understanding that the, like when you you understand how complex their own issues is of like trauma our household level the addiction yeah. stay suffer with the lack of opportunity the lack of education you know and, and i suppose having my own background yeah. of high levels of empathy for working with these young people as well and, and do great you tell them you. about your background as well as you yeah. go along yeah. that process yeah. Yeah. that really helps i'd imagine yeah. so if we're, we're engaging with a young person and, and we know that he's a high possible risk of getting caught selling drugs or whatever that he can go to prison it's like, look, man, you don't want to go to prison. Like, you don't want to go in. You can't pick when you knock your lights off. You can't pick what you're eating for dinner. You know, keys rattling outside. No, prison is the next level of criminality, you know, mm -hmm. especially yeah. Mount Joy. Like, Cloverhill's fine. Like, Mount Joy is just up that next level again, mm -hmm. you know. But it's the impact that prison has on a young person on their life choices. Mm -hmm. And I suppose just to circle back to something you were talking about there about how wonderful these young people are once you give them opportunity. I think in my work anyway, Carl, I'm always conscious of the fact that while we work with young people and we try and really rehabilitate and we find a way back for them into communities and stuff. And I think that's really important <clears throat> because of the dual status of a lot of the young people we yeah. work with, where they're criminals themselves, but they're also often victims of crime. Yeah. It's the victims within the community as well. That piece, bridging that piece to get people to give them a chance because you can understand, Sarah, you would have done a lot of work with people who um, would have been... It's just the cycle. Yeah, it's yeah. the cycle, but it's the victims of crime as well. Mm. How do we bring them on board? Because if they've been a victim of one of these young people mm -hmm. and they're still living in that community and they're frightened of that young person, for example, if that young person was involved in drugs-related intimidation, for example, that's a really tricky piece, yeah. isn't it? And that and that's going to take investment in communities, I, I would imagine, and projects like yours. I mean, I don't know what you feel about that piece, because it is difficult, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. Mm. So like when, when I talk about the bridging model, like there's two sides for like obviously we're trying to bridge the young people back into mainstream society. But the other side of it is making community 
understand and advocating for these young people and going and attending local police and forums or attending community groups and, and standing up and letting them know, like, there's lots of fear and intimidation, mm. Trina, mm. you know. Like, we had, I can give you an example. We had this young person who we, we got out of the area, you know, he was a, we, we took him to the, probably the, the forest we could. He probably still does a little bit of stuff forever, but he's at home, he's a stay-at-home father, he brings his kids to school, and it's like, that is a massive result for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's gone out of the area years, but the community members are still giving out about him. Yeah. Right, you know, yeah. That fear is still reeling. And, and it's, it's still just alive. that stigma is attached to him, and yeah, it's hard to overcome that then. Yeah. How do you run away from that or, or feel welcomed anywhere? Yeah. That's where we need a restorative process, isn't mm-hmm. it? We need a restorative process where somebody can acknowledge the harm they've done, try and repair that harm. But we need people to be open to that. Yeah. That's why a lot of... And more resources in it well, well. exactly. So that's yeah. it. I mean, it's always about the resources. In those scenarios, it? it really would work, I'd imagine. Yeah, we were all trained in restorative um, yeah. practice. We, we know the yeah. questions to ask. Um, I walks in some incidents, some I can kind of back for a little yeah. bit as well. They yeah. think, Oh, what she's saying to you, and like she shouldn't be talking to you, like so. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it might be f- too local. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, again, like I was just thinking today, like we, even as youth workers, you know, the whole source we're up against, you know, mm. and again, it's it's back to that criteria piece. Like we done assist training a few weeks ago, which is suicide okay. intervention and awareness training. And it's like the, the main thing is that if you find out a young person has suicidal tendencies, you bring them to the hospital. You yeah. know, and last week only we had a young person who tried to commit suicide, who, whose family member found him and went to the call an ambulance. The doctor said if he'd if if the family member had stopped to even tie his lace, he'd be dead. You know, thirty more seconds he'd be dead. What and age then, was that young person? He's twenty six. They sent him home. They sent him home to the hospital. And he's ringing me. What am I going to do here? You know, it's just like, I rang my manager, giving him those stinkers. Like, what, what's wrong with this country? Mm, you know? yeah. Yeah. We're really had, failing, aren't we, with yeah, some of our young yeah, people? Yeah. In, in so many ways, Carl. Yeah. In so many ways. Well, mental health, there's, always, there's so many shortcomings, aren't there? Yeah. And again, even with the, the loopholes with mental health, if you go to a mental health service and they find out you have an addiction, most of them won't see it. Right. Because yeah. you have to yeah. tackle the... They won't so do, it's, yeah. it's what kind of force, yeah. the chicken or the they egg. Won't, you know they won't I mean? do the dual diagnosis, yeah. but there is talk about dual I've diagnosis that, becoming yeah. part of the HSE approach to a health-led approach to addictions, and you would be aware of this. But then uh, how many people fall through those cracks in the meantime? You know, They do, sir. Talk she, is, yeah, it really is. Yeah. Right? Talk yeah. is cheap. It really is. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. I'm so tired of hearing about so many people not being treated properly, you know, and mm. not receiving the correct treatment when they need it. And it's community um, workers, the ones that's taking on, taking yeah. her on, you know, yeah. it's youth workers and yeah. And they're the ones that have had the biggest cuts in austerity, and them cuts haven't been uh, restored. Like even in the northeast inner city, the drugs task force is there no longer. I mean, in that part of this world we need a drugs task force yeah um you know and the funding is just not being restored and you will hear and i'm sure all of us here hear you know politicians talking about the funding is being restored it has not been restored to the level that it was before austerity and our problems have increased in number and 
diversity since. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. you're right, Sarah. I mean, they really are letting down young people and communities, yeah. community safety yeah. in so many ways. Mm-hmm. So I suppose maybe, Carl, when we talk about this, you talk about that piece, people believing in you. And that's kind of what you do now. Yeah. You're like giving back. You're a role model now. Mm-hmm. But what what interests me about your story, because, Carl, you and I have spoken lots of times, is this education piece you did. Would you mind maybe ta- talking to us about what you did and what education brought to your life? Because I think that's an interesting yeah. part. Yeah. yeah, education is so key, isn't mm. it? You know, mm. was, as I said, I was an early school leaver, but Salcha was like an educational program back when I was in it, and they done level trees. You know, it's like equivalent to your, your, your leaving cert or junior cert. Junior, junior, never, yeah. never got yeah. it, you know, it's just yeah. like, and I done that, and it's like, it opens your mind up a little bit, mm. you know, and I went on. And even Sonia that I was talking about, like, reinforcing me, go do the level seven, you'll be able to do it. And I was like, oh, I don't know, you know, and that, like, I went and done the level seven. And that's a degree. That, that's it was, a, it was a diploma. It you was did a diploma because they wanted you to go on and do a degree. Yeah, yeah. But I'd done the, the diploma. And what was it in? It was in community drugs and alcohol. Work. Brilliant. Um, okay. UCD. Yeah. yeah. Just, but but you went on to do a level eight. I went on. So to you do did it. a degree. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that must have given you a lot of confidence then. Yeah. Like it builds your self esteem, it builds your character that, mm-hmm. that like yeah, you want to help people, but now you have the education to kind of back that up, you know. Yeah. And the, I think the level eight was so important for me as well. I am a team leader in the project and it's it's a transformative leadership um yeah. modules yeah. that like where you, you're trying to teach people how to be leaders and that's something that we do in Troy. Is that we 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 help young people become leaders within their own community because you'll never get a stronger message than that. Someone from the community, self-confessed corner boys, wherever gone, yeah. but you know, Noel, he won't mind me mentioning his name. He was probably our poster boy for Troy, and he's a he's a youth worker. He's walking yeah. away. He's, he's doing a level five. He, he's he's with Liberate, who's the youngest um, groups around Dublin. They. And he's a leader when he's in, within his own community. It's like, mm. wow. So it's working in that area. Yeah. yeah. I needed that to happen, you know, because you get knocked back so many times doing the job. I mean, it, now all kind of progressed on and done. That's like, you can breathe. It's like, yeah. wow, you know, I've done something. I've and done when you can show really. that to the powers that be that yeah. it's working, then yeah. you get more funding. I, I'd imagine. I would you, hope. Would, you would, I would hope, hope so. Hope. In an yeah. ideal world. Hope. I'm if, a bit naive, if, I suppose. If they're I? listening. Yeah. Uh, no, these models take years to change. Yeah. We're still yeah. walking off models from Is the that 90s. The way, Carl? Um, yeah. And yeah. What, what we're doing at the moment with, with the management, and Ashlyn is great with that stuff. She's, um, we're developing the model. Um, we're looking at different aspects about what we need, what we don't need. Let's put this on paper. Let's the academics get a hold and let's let's go with this and try and replicate it. I suppose in other areas, you know, that be that that excites me. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, I can do my job all all day, and but having something on paper to actually say to other people, there's a model mm-hmm. gone walkers mm-hmm. like wow. And I remember chatting to you for the the antisocial documentary and you were talking about community policing and obviously mm. more visibility and they need to be there every day to build relationships. Has that yeah. been happening at all? At, a, at a, a lower level, I think. I think the delivery part of Solace is, is like they do tag programs. It's teenagers and guards. They bring the dogs in, they show them the cells. It's like 
we do like a, a a lame Hicks football tournament every year where we will bring the guards in and they will play football with Youth Reach, Denor Avenue, Oliver Bond and it's like nothing gets a bit of competitiveness gone. <laughs> yeah, it's me. Especially with the guy. It's my training. <laughs> I know, I know. It's like, oh, I'm going to break him up. Oh, yeah, I swear. And then you go on the game and they're all shaking their hands and oh, all. It's yeah. like, they're all like, out, yeah. I'm going to batter him yeah. when I get on there. And oh, then they're like, all right, good, all right, good. Oh, when so you're cute. telling you're saying, the, playing the police, to be like, can you get this cup or but then the next day, if they meet them on the side of the road, like that's amazing. It's brilliant. Yeah. That just yeah. diffuses everything yeah. and building those relationships. But as long as they're around a lot, yeah. you know, if they're gone then for weeks, it, it's, it's kind of pointless, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's it. And Dublin A is notorious for guards coming in and using them for like a stepping stone. Yeah. That they will do six months, a year, two years, and then they're gone. So the okay. turnover guard, and we've been blessed with, I suppose, some good guards of like Mick Nagel and... Holland, who looks after all the football, they're, they're, they're brilliant. They do all the, they get you to work. Not yeah. every guard gets you to work. Yeah. These guys get you to work. And, we, you know, we need we need them on our side as yeah. well, you know. Yeah, we really do. And I suppose then, um, Carl, just to kind of finish up, I suppose, um, what I love about your story is your journey. And I'm just wondering, with, the, with your qualifications, are you usually you know, self-confident person now or is that something that you still maybe have to work on? And just to say for other people out there that are going through the same kind of process you're going through, like how do you, like, how do you navigate your confidence? Because we all get anxiety, don't we? Like, mm. and confidence in our own abilities. How how do you feel about yourself now, I suppose? Um. Yeah, I feel good. Like, I, good. I, I, I get, I, I, I kind of like program myself like to be okay in the world okay. and like that's true helping people meditation you know looking at myself doing inventory even on myself like that's little tools that I, I kind of picked up myself but I love meditating mm. you know, I love it I, I, I won't leave the house in the morning without doing a little check in with myself and seeing but like if you try and say that to a young person I know uh, but yeah, you know yeah. But it's definitely yeah. something that's more popular now, isn't it? Yes, that's true. It's more yeah. acceptable, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, definitely. It's a yeah, lot more apps. There's ago. free apps yeah. now with yeah. like like Headspace and Insight Timer Insight that Timer. people like. I think and and if they're short pieces, like five minutes, they're more receptive to that, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. So you're pushing that on them, which is <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah, no, I tell Keep them. I, I, I'd be out straight with young people. Have you ever tried meditation? And you'd be very surprised too to say they do a bit yeah. with me and I'll bring them in the room. We'll do five, yeah. ten minutes and mm. getting agitated. You know, mm. it's like, but yeah. I love that. I believe that, like, if you sit with your own, yourself and you sit with your feelings and your own mind for a while, like, that's, you're getting a release from it, you yeah. know? So I've loads of little things. I do the gym. I, I yeah. help people. I, I, I connect in with people every morning. Yeah. Um, I'm a fairly confident lad mm. now. Like I can, I can do things. It doesn't mean I don't get nervous and get anxiety. Of course, like yeah. I, I do, but I'm confident in my role and confident in my ability. And yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. And and you're and so you have to generous. Work on it every day. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. It's every day, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But you're so generous with your story, Carl. Have you ever worried about people judging you by telling your story? Um. Yeah. 
That's the truth, you know, I have, and like, I think this is like, I, I was a board member of the Recovery Academy of Ireland and it was set up to tackle stigma for, for people in addiction, you know, and that they taught me to be okay with my story and to mm. be okay, and I shared, I started sharing it, and it was mm. like, it's something very therapeutic about sharing your story with others and um, getting that release, and it shows that it hasn't got a, a kind of a hold over you anymore. You know, and I think that even doing the likes of this is, is my way. The, the amount of people out there in services that, that are not ashamed, they're not willing to to kind of say out loud. And they're the ones leading the way. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the ones yeah. out there. Um, you can really learn from that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And vulnerability, and isn't it? Yeah, it's about being vulnerable and yourself to yeah. be vulnerable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that power. Yeah. It's powerful. That, that is yeah. a superpower. Yeah, it really Being is. Being able to be it vulnerable is. Is, is a is a superpower. Yeah, really it's is. not something to be ashamed. It's a strength. Of. Yeah. 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 Well, well, Carl, thank you ever thanks so much so for much. trusting us with your story yeah, and for coming on and sharing. And I do hope that people that listen to this will will know that there is lots of different places yeah. out there where they can get help. And that them small steps that you talk about is that's the first start, isn't it? To recovery, yeah. it's taken that one small step. What so, would you say finally, Carl, yeah. to them now? What What's the message in terms of where to contact or yeah. maybe your group in terms of try? Where should they contact? Yeah, I suppose the amount of stuff out there, like youth organisations, 12-step fellowships, addiction services, mm-hmm. just reach out. You'd be yeah. very surprised. Or, or You might know someone that's in recovery. Give them a text on Instagram or Facebook and say, hey, look, I need a dig out. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. Make the phone call. You know, there's an old saying that when you're in addiction, is I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll yeah. do it tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes, then you're still saying the same thing. So it's a vicious cycle. So do it today. Do it today. You know, do it today. Brilliant. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, girls. You can contact us on social media at Real Lives Untold. Our email address is reallivesuntold at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe to hear this season's episodes every Wednesday. You can listen on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.